Well, all right. That was fun. If you would, this morning, turn in your Bibles to the fifth chapter of Amos. We're making our way through this minor prophecy, and it's minor, as I've said before, only in its length, not in its importance. Our children are being dismissed, and they're in for a treat today. Amos chapter 5, in a message that has been titled, Actions Speak Louder Than Words. This is a continuation from the theme that has been developing all the way through this series thus far. And so we're going to be at the end of chapter 5 today, uh, from verse 16 down to verse 27. And I'd like to kind of set the stage for this scripture by giving you an illustration in the form of a, a story. We all like birthday parties, I think. Is that, is that an, a fair assumption? Especially when it's our own. Because who doesn't like an event that is expressly for the purpose of people coming and bringing me presents and eating cake. I mean, that's, that's a, a win-win in my book, okay? So here's the thing. Think about a birthday party, and it's yours. And you have planned, you have invited friends. So your expectation for that day, that moment, is people that I like and that I presume like me are going to come to my house or wherever the party's being held. They're going to show up. We're going to hang out, play games, eat cake, have fun. They're going to bring me gifts. This is going to be a great time. But what if the time arrives for your party and all the people show up and instead of focusing on you, because it is your birthday, they just take their gift on the way in the front door and just kind of toss it on a table and head straight out the back door into the backyard. And all your guests who you thought were coming to see and celebrate you just drop their gift on the table and head it out the back door. And all your friends without you are now in your backyard playing, having fun, laughing, just enjoying their time together, and you're sitting there inside the back door just, am I, am I invisible? Did I just, I thought this was, I thought I was the guest of honor. It's my birthday, and everybody just kind of went right past me and went out to the, backyard and now they're all having fun together but I'm not even a part of it that would be odd right it would be wrong right and you understand what I'm saying now let's take the next step in that story is it possible we could do that at church why do we come here who are we here to honor and celebrate? It's possible to show up, toss God a customary gift, 
and then completely ignore him while we enjoy the company of those around us. And if we do that, that would be a tragedy. That's not why we're here. We're here to celebrate Jesus Christ. That, that's the only reason we are here. We have other fringe benefits. Don't, please don't hear what I'm not saying. We have benefits to gather. I look forward to seeing you every week. I really do. I look forward to the fellowship. I especially look forward to the fellowship when it culminates in a meal. That's awesome. I love it. Okay? But those are extras. Those are, those are bonuses. Right? Our purpose, our main priority when we come here and gather, especially on Sundays, is to honor and celebrate Jesus. That, that's, that's our main prayer. If we don't do that, we can do all the other stuff and enjoy it. And it's, There's nothing wrong with it. Please don't misunderstand me. Nothing wrong with all the other stuff. But we can't lose sight of our priority, which is Jesus. Does that make sense? It's, it's all about priorities. We don't do away with all the good bonuses. We enjoy those. But we have to remember why we can enjoy those. It's because of Jesus. So this text is after last week, is going to bring us to a really specific point where we can hopefully, hopefully we can see that very clearly, why we're here. What, what did these folks do wrong when they were uh, going to their worship times and going to the temple and checking the boxes, but their hearts were not in tune with Jesus and with the, with the Lord? What, what did they do wrong what was their warning they received? What was the word from God? And how can we take that and apply it to our lives so we don't make the same mistake? That's, that's the key here. We are, we are given this word so we don't make the same mistake that other people made. We're to learn from their mistakes, take heed to it, and then go in the right direction. So let's read Amos chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, going to verse 27. Here is what God's word says. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the Lord, there is wailing in all the plazas, and in all the streets they say, alas, alas. They also call the farmer to mourning, and professional mourners to lamentation, and in all the vineyards there's wailing, because I will pass through the midst of you, says the Lord. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or he goes home and leans his hand against the wall and a snake bites him, will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. 
Did you present me with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried along Sikuth, your king, and Cayune, your images, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Father, I pray today your word will be made so clear to us that your Holy Spirit would speak to us so clearly that there will be no doubt in our hearts or minds what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to know, and that you would then give us the strength to do what you've called us to do. Help us, Lord. Help us to hear and understand and obey. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, there's three sections of this text, and I'm going to try to move through them fairly rapidly so we don't uh, miss the main point, because there's a, a main point in the middle that we don't want to miss out on, and there's some setup, and then there's some conclusion, so we want to make sure we concentrate on the main part here. First of all, number one, you, we need to prepare for the presence of God. Prepare for the presence of God. So here's what I like to do when I think about this. How do you prepare... When, you are, when you're going to a place or a gathering, when you know you're going to experience the presence of God. First of all, back up maybe a step behind that. When you get in the car to go to a gathering of the church on Sunday morning, is your thought process, I am going to worship God. Jesus, and I'm going to experience the presence of God today. Is, is that in your mind somewhere? When we, when we get ready to leave, when we're getting ready, and we're getting ready to walk out the door, and we're going to a gathering of God's people, shouldn't that be in our thought process? I'm going to meet with God. I'm going to hear from God. I'm going to experience His presence. See, that's what this time is meant to be we're we're gathered together but we're gathered to meet god to hear from god and so are we prepared for that are we getting ready to experience the presence of god if you look at verse 16 through verse 20 there's a sharp contrast here because the prophet is speaking for God, from God, and he says, Thus says the Lord God of hosts. And then look what he says, though. There's wailing everywhere. There's mourning everywhere. Look what, I mean, that's what he says right here in the text. Verse 16, wailing on the plazas. They call the farmer to mourn. They have professional mourners, people who are professional sad people. <laughs> and, and, and they're crying. I mean, this is it's, uh, it's interesting. But he says in 16 and 17, everywhere you look, there, the people are hollering. Why? Look at the end of verse 17. There's a specific reason why the people are hollering and wailing and, and upset. It's because God's coming. He says, I will pass through the midst of you. Now, why would that be cause for alarm, do you think? I mean, if, if, if God were to show up, that should be a good thing, right? That's what we want. We want God's presence. Here's why it's bad for them. When... When, when they remember times in the past that God has shown up and passed through their midst, what's typically happened? 
bad things. Judgment, death, bad things. When God says, I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming through, then everybody's, oh, we gotta, what, what are we doing wrong? We've got to stop that. We've got, you know, we got to get ourselves straight here. Kind of like in the, I'm, uh, this is such a silly illustration, but in the mornings, when I, I'm in the gym, and it's early, I'm trying to get going and get my blood flowing, and there's a couple people that, are in, that work out where I, where I go to my gym, and they're like, it's like, why are you here? You're done. You know, look, look at you. you. You're done. You, know, you don't need to lift any more weights. You don't need to lose any more weights. It's like you're the finished product, okay? That's, like, that's what we're all trying to get to. Why are you even here? I guess they're maintaining. But here's what I, I find myself saying sometimes. When one of them walks in and me and my partner over here, he and I are lifting weights or something, and one of those walks through the door, it's like, all right, we've got to tighten up now. You know, the trainer man just walked in, and, you know, he's all perfectly chiseled and everything, so... Right, we've got, got to get straight here. We've got to, can't be playing around anymore. Okay, how much more? What if I were to say to you with the authority of God and, and the, the, the assurance that this was going to happen, what if I were to say to you, hey, two minutes, Jesus Christ is about to walk through the back door. Anything you need to take care of? I don't know about you, I'd be doing a real quick examination and uh, trying to get right anything I needed to get right. If Jesus was about to walk through the door, I would want to be ready. They were not ready. They were far from ready. So Amos tells them, it's, this is, hey, why are you... Why are you longing for the day of the Lord? Do you understand what it's going to be in your current state? Do you understand what that's going to look like? It's not going to be good. It says darkness rather than light. And then he gives this illustration. I love this. Like if you're running from a lion, like you can really run away from a lion. Can't happen. Lions run way faster than any human being. Okay, you're running from a lion, and you're, you're looking back at the lion, you're running, and here comes a bear. Okay, you're done. Then you run home to get away from the bear and you finally shut the door at your house you think what do you think when you get home safe you lean up on the wall and a snake bites you on the hand it's like you can't get away no matter where you go what you do when god says he's passing through you need to be prepared prepared for his presence look at the the words he uses for the day of the lord darkness isolation it's inescapable there's utter hopelessness that's not a positive thing but it's because the people aren't ready to meet god you know we say we i want to would, would i be happy whatever i'm doing wherever i'm going whatever i'm saying would i be happy if jesus met me where i am doing what i'm doing saying what i'm saying or whatever the case would i be okay with that that's the question we should ask. Am I, am I good if God shows up right now? Am I prepared? That's number one. Number two, worship God in spirit and in truth. One, be prepared for the presence of God. Number two, worship God in spirit and in truth. When you read those first verses, 16 through 20, and you think, oh, gracious, that's uh, not a very positive outlook. But it's almost like in verse 21, it's almost like the prophet interrupts the worship service just to criticize it. It's like if we're in the middle of our, our gathering time here 
And if somebody just stood up and started running off a list of complaints in the middle of the worship service. That's kind of like what the prophet does right here because he's speaking God's message to the people. So this is the meat of the message today. This second portion here, verse 21 down to verse 24. Worship God in spirit and in truth. So look at the things that the prophet points out that are wrong. Whenever God says, I hate what you're doing, I reject what you're doing, that's a bad sign. Okay, look what he says. I don't delight in your solemn assemblies. I hate and reject your festivals. That's basically like saying, hey, if we're having a special service at Christmas or a special service at Easter or if we're having our, a really major worship gathering on a Sunday, it's like God's showing up and saying, gosh, I hate this. This, this is terrible. What you're doing here, terrible. That's God critiquing the people and he's trying to show them hey you're missing the mark your priorities are not right the things that you're doing you don't need to be doing because what you're doing here doesn't match what you're doing in the community what you're doing on sunday when you're when you're gathered doesn't match what your life looks like the rest of the time it's a, it's a major cry of hypocrisy. They're celebrating all these religious feasts, and these solemn assemblies are the, like their common, like common gatherings, like what we're doing. And so you can equate these things to anytime you have a special service or even your weekly gathering on Sunday, it's like God says, I hate it. I reject it. In fact, the word he uses here is the same exact word he used in last week's portion of this scripture, like in verse 15 when he told the people to hate evil, you should hate evil and you should love good, that same word is used right here, what God says, I hate what you're doing when you get together. I hate your worship gatherings is what he's saying. And then he says, if that's not enough, he says, even if you offer me the offerings that I've asked you to bring, remember, this, they're checking the box, remember? They're doing what they think is expected, but their life doesn't match. So they're trying to do the get-out-of-hell-free card. They're trying to say, well, I'm going to just live however, but as long as, I, as long as I'm sitting in the pew on Sunday, that wipes away everything I did from Monday to Saturday. Okay, it doesn't work that, that way. It doesn't work that way. In fact, one commentator on this passage actually said that most middle-class Americans tend to worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. That's terrible. Talk about misplaced priorities. It's not how it's supposed to be. But as this passage moves on, we're moving from general to specific because now he says in verse 22, you might offer me these offerings. I'm not going to accept them. I'm not even going to look at them. And if that were not bad enough, then he says, what would normally be pleasing, like songs, praise, now you know what he calls it? Noise. Take away the 
noise of your songs. I'm not going to listen to the sound of your harps. I'm not going to listen. You're going to be playing and singing and supposedly worshiping through that. But what would normally be pleasing is now just noise. The Hebrew word for noise there means uh, like um, commotion or, or turmoil or uproar. It's just like very displeasing. But the thing was, it wasn't that the songs were noisy because maybe the singer was off key or the instruments were out of tune. That's not what it was. The reason why the songs were noise was because the, the, the words that were being sung were coming out of hearts that were not following Jesus. You can sing as pretty as you want to, but if your heart isn't lined up with Jesus... It's just nonsense. It's just meaningless words. It might be pretty to the human ear, but to, to God it's sickening. Let that sink in a minute. When we do things in here and people around us may think it's wonderful, what does God think of it? Have we ever stopped to consider that? What does God think of what we're doing? Not do, did I did I do that did I say that right or did I you know in this context with the song if I, did I play that right or did I sing that right or did I say that right? it's not what God's looking at God is looking at where those words are coming from what the the heart and mind that formed those words what did that look like. Isaiah prophesied about the people. Jesus quoted Isaiah over in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew. And he said, he said, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You, we've said this a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. You can fool anybody in this room. You'll never fool God. Ever. You have, you have a 0.0% chance of fooling God. He knows your heart better than you do. He knows my motivation and my thoughts better than I do. He knows everything about me. If I'm trying to put on an appearance that I'm righteous or spiritual, God knows if it's true or not doesn't matter what any of you think of me. You may think I'm Mr. Super Spiritual. You may think I'm not. doesn't matter. You know what? God knows the truth. For better or for worse, God knows exactly what my heart looks like. I will never fool Him. So just as these folks here, as we sit here, do you realize the foolishness, the complete foolishness of trying to fool God. Trying to put on an appearance and think God's going to be fooled by that. It, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. So he actually uses, in this little passage, he uses three different senses, human senses, about what he's going to say about what these folks are doing. The words in verse 21, uh, the solemn assemblies, I will not delight in your solemn assemblies. It's actually 
a word that means the sense of smell. Like uh, when, we, when the Bible speaks of offering worship that is a fragrant aroma to God, that's the word he's, he's using here. So it's like God says, you know what? I'm smelling what you're stepping in and it's not pleasant. I'm not going to breathe that in anymore. And then he says, I'm not going to look at your offerings. Then he says, I'm not going to listen to your songs. Every, just about every sense that you can think of how God could possibly reject what these folks are doing, that's what he's doing. But here's the thing. Look at the pronouns in this text. This is so telling. This is something we can't miss. When you look at verse 21, what does God say about these festivals and these solemn assemblies? He says, I hate your festivals. I don't delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me your grain offerings, I will not look at your peace offerings. Take away the noise of your songs. I'm not going to listen to the sound of your harps. Do you see what he's doing there? He's, he's showing a contrast there that this is the people's doing. It's not God's doing. It's similar to the way many people refer to churches these days. Hey, welcome to our church. Hope, have you met our preacher? Have, do you like our songs or our music? Or It's possessive. None of this belongs to us. None of this is ours. Every bit of it is God's. When we, when we fool ourselves into thinking that we own some stuff, because, you know, ownership gives authority. So when we start having that perspective of this is ours, then that means we can do with it what we want. Mm -mm. we're free to do with it what God wants. And that's it. We shouldn't think for a minute that this or that or whatever is, is ours. We think we're supposed to get something when we come to worship. Minister to me, feed me, meet my expectations. We, we're, not, we're not here to get, we're here to give. Romans 12 and verse 1 talks about offering ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. You know what the trouble is with a living sacrifice? Keep trying to crawl off the altar. It won't, won't stay. We've lost the awe and wonder of God. And sometimes it gets replaced with expectations of entertainment. Or, I mean, it's not every church, and it's certainly not, certainly not here to that extent. But, I mean, you go to some places, and it's, it just doesn't seem like it's all about God. It seems like it's more about us. And that's unfortunate. Because remember, remember what our priority is? We're, we're here to 
glorify and honor and celebrate Jesus. That's our number one priority. And if our hearts and our minds and our lives are not in tune with Jesus and what he requires of us, then whatever we do, it's just, we're, just, we're just going through emotion. We're not, we're not really pleasing the heart of God. Does that make sense? Does, am, I, am I making sense? I don't want to confuse anybody, and I don't want to say more than what the Scripture says, but I really want, it, I want this to be clear. We have to understand that what we want may or may not be what God wants. God wants us to want the things He wants. Does that make sense? He wants to change our desires. When you go read the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 37, 4, that says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. You heard that verse? You know what that means? I tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you what you want. It means delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you a new set of desires for your heart. He'll give you desires that line up with delighting in Him. That's the whole reason why the first part of the verse says, delight yourself in the Lord. And He will give you the desires that should be in your heart. Does that make sense? He's going to change your want-tos. <laughs> That's what needs to happen. This needed to happen to this group it needs to happen to every single Christian on the face of the earth. Every believer. We need to desire what God desires. It's all throughout scriptures. I won't read them all to you, but one notable verse is 1 Samuel 15, 22, that's very well known to obey is better than sacrifice. God wants our obedience. He doesn't need our stuff. It's his stuff anyway. He, he made it. We are here to glorify God, to worship Him. So we are never more fulfilling our purpose in life than when we are glorifying and worshiping God. That's why we have this word. That's why we have the story of the gospel that Jesus lived out for us. The truth about Jesus that He came to this earth and took on the form of a human being, that he lived a life free from sin, that he went to a cross and died a substitutionary, sacrificial death for me. He canceled out my sins. He allowed himself to go through all that, to be put in the grave, and then he rose victoriously on the third day, and now he has ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God constantly praying for us what he's doing and we can't worship someone we don't know if you do not belong to Jesus Christ then your worship is aimless you, you can't worship Jesus if you don't know him you understand what I'm saying do you understand the drastic importance of belonging to Jesus Christ to having a relationship with Jesus Christ, to knowing beyond the shadow of any doubt that because of Jesus and His sacrifice on your behalf and your complete trust and faith in Him, that's why you are a Christian. 
if that doesn't describe you, then it's, in, it's impossible to worship Jesus if you don't know Jesus. The Bible says we cannot say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit of God. It's impossible. We can say the words, but it can't mean anything unless we belong to Him. The heart of biblical worship is to seek God's face, to adore His name. And so we have to honor God's character in our words and our practice. We can't just spit out some words and hope that that gets us in. Man, if it was that easy, everybody would be going to heaven. The life has to match the profession. That's what Amos is getting to. That's the only way we avoid God's judgment. The last three verses basically point us to that and just say basically sacrifice without obedience is just a meaningless ritual. It's an insult to the grace and the goodness of God. If we're checking boxes and, it, and it's not real, we're just we're insulting God. And I know that's not what we want to do. If you would say, hey, you want to... Spend the afternoon insulting God? No, of course not. It's not our motivation, but that's the practical result. If we don't belong to Christ, but we are checking the boxes trying to keep up an appearance of some sort, then basically all we're doing is insulting the grace of God. So the only option left to us, I mean, judgment is inevitable. It's going to happen. So the only logical thing for us to do is to flee to the place where judgment has already been poured out. And where did that happen? Right here. The only option is to run to the cross of Jesus. That's the only way to be covered from Judgment, that's the only place where a guilty sinner can find shelter. You know, there's a, a song in our hymn book. I'll just, I'll, I'll close with this. There's a song in our hymn book. It's called Rock of Ages. You know when it was written? 1776. The year of our nation's independence. The American Revolution. The guy who wrote it was in a field in England when this big storm swept down and he was far from the village. He didn't have any shelter, but he saw a rock out in this field in front of him and it had been split open. And he said, if I can just get myself wedged in there in the shelter of that rock, then I should be able to weather this storm until it passes and then I'll be all right. So this brother was all tucked up in this rock trying to escape the violence of this storm. And while he was waiting there, this thought occurred to him. The storm was beaten down, and he started thinking about God's judgment. And he realized that, you know, he's a believer, and he thought, you know, Jesus, the rock, was broken by God so that sinners can hide in him and be safe. And so he, he sat there, he, you know what he had in his pocket? He had an old uh, a playing card. Like a, a, at a deck of cards, had a card in his, in his pocket. He picked it up and started scribbling the words to the hymn, Rock of Ages. 
you know what verse 2 of that song says? Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. I love the last line. In my hand no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. There, there's just no other way around it. We can say a lot of things and do a lot of things and have good attendance. But if we don't anchor ourselves in the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no hope whatsoever. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray.